and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard. This episode is examining workplace pressures and support for nurses. Health service pressures are now a constant presence rather than an event associated with wintertime. However, the colder months of the year in the UK do stretch nurses and other healthcare staff even further, with greater prevalence of respiratory conditions such as flu, pneumonia and COVID. Such sickness isn't just confined to patients, but affects nurses too, worsening existing staff shortages. While shortages make redeployment to cover rotor gaps and staffing mix more likely. And in recent years, industrial action by nurses and doctors has also impacted services. But let's not depress everyone here. The purpose of this episode of the podcast is to look at how nurses can be supported through such challenges and how the NMC code can assist with this. So joining me to discuss this topic is NMC Executive Director of Professional Practice, Sam Foster, and Assistant Director, National and Regional Outreach, Sam Donoghue. So welcome to the podcast, Sam and Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Good to join Good you. Good to be here. Thank you very much. So as we've just discussed pre-recording, as you've both got the name Sam, we'll try and <laughs> make it clear to listeners who who's talking. So to start with, um, based on your experience, what is the landscape like for nursing staff now? What pressures are, are they facing at work? So I don't know who's going to take that one first. <laughs> I don't mind kicking off. Um, Sam Foster, Sam thank Foster. you. So, so one of my colleagues told me before, if you if you think about the acronym WAVE, that kind of covers everything really. So workforce activity, infrastructure and finance, that kind of sums up what's facing us all at the moment. So, you know, we've got lots of workforce challenges, um, which are well played out. Don't need to don't need to illustrate that to our listeners um there's lots of workforce shortages some of those are vacancies some of those are absences through other reasons and, and some of those other reasons are, are very much stress related um activity we've got huge demand across all of our services in health and social care um the infrastructure so the stuff that goes around us to support us whether that's the it doesn't work very well or we haven't got the support services that we need um and then ultimately you know that the money's not stretching to support to support us all so that that would be my kind of quick slick answer that sort of sums up the things that are impacting on um on nurses and midwives but sam's nodding away we're looking at each other i'm sure she's got something that she'll she'll add as well but i'll just give that little summary thank you yeah thanks sam so the i think that's a really good acronym actually in terms of framing it i mean we've Nurses are also members of the public, nurses and midwives, nursing associates, and we know that the public's mental health was affected following and during the pandemic, and and, and that's for the workforce as well. So we're seeing a lot of pressure with people with their really sort of mental health challenges coming through um, services as well, and, and that is a different pressure in some areas, um, and people adapting differently. But we've also this is a global challenge. It's not unique to our waters. Um, so we're, you know, there's a lot of challenges that have been supported with conversations actually during COVID where we used social media to talk to other people in other countries. And, and certainly at the NMC, we're looking at how we can connect 
globally with people to look at not just what the challenges are, but what some other solutions may be. I think maybe just to add something that Sam and I hear a lot is the impact of cost of living as well. Um, and Sam and I were at a university last week, in fact, talking to a group of students and hardship was a real theme. So the impact of cost of living, um, the requirement, therefore, for colleagues to, to work additionally um, and hearing stories about people, you know, struggling to 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 afford fuel to get to work or get to placements and considering use of food banks is something that's really um, a very real challenge um, at the moment for, for professionals. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And moving sort of directly to the code, what does the code tell us about working under such heightened pressures? I don't mind kicking off again. I mean, Sam and I are very similar in this nature. You know, we've both we've got the code on our desktops. You know, it this is this is not something just for your, your undergraduate days and, and for learning about as a student. The code has seen both Sam and I, who've worked at a very senior level in the NHS through COVID and through industrial action, the code has seen us well. Um, you know, one of the areas I'd pick out specifically is about us managing risk and escalating concerns. Um, and, and look, the code's getting on a bit now. It's nearly 10 years old and we're going to have a look at where it's a bit silent and it needs a bit of strengthening. But but I know Sam will come in with an example as well, but it's seen us both well um, throughout our careers into very senior positions um, at guiding us um, professionally and personally in the delivery of our roles, particularly in terms of managing risk, um, being candid um, and raising concerns. So that, that's an example that I'd give, but I know that Sam will have other examples of well, as well for sharing. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think, I've described the code before as like it's your professional anchor. So it, it really, if you stay to the code, even in times of challenge, you've got, it's going to anchor you to the right place because fundamentally it's those that, that kind of your, it will guide you to think things through pragmatically. So let's take the drama out the situation and think, am I safe? Can I be effective? Do I need to communicate differently with my patients at this time or the public? And it really, I, I see it as our as our guide. Okay. And how can it, the code, uh, support nursing staff under pressure? I mean, some listeners might think of the code as, as something to kind of keep them in line and potentially be used against them rather rather than to support them. But 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 how can can it can it be used to to help them? So I think it goes back to, you know, as I say, as a senior nurse or nursing associate or midwife, you know, we were balancing risk every single day. Um, and our risk tolerance in these really demanding times actually is 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 at a different level, I think, than maybe it was several years ago. Um, and I think, you know, you apply the code, as Sam says, for different scenarios and whether you are looking at guiding another colleague or guiding your own practice it is something to constantly refer back to because there are sentences in there which might not mean anything today but tomorrow might be that pertinent part of the code to guide you as Sam says and to anchor you in the right thing to do so at times of stress and I'll probably use industrial action as a good example or times in Covid when we were really balancing risk in a very pressured situation um, there were certainly elements that anchored my thinking um, and Sam's I know because we've talked about it 
um, in terms of our professional accountability to advise, you know, either your department, your directorate, your team, your trust, whatever your position, um, to kind of regroup together and huddle and think, okay, I have a duty um, to raise this risk, to have a discussion about this, to guide us in terms of, you know, my toes over the line now, we need to have a further conversation and balance the risk in a slightly different way. Um, because, you know, the eyes on on the nurse or the midwife or the nursing associate, um, when things get tough, to, to really put their hand up in the interest of patient safety, um, to say, we need to have a discussion about this. That that's the duty of care that we have to the public. Mm. Um, Donahue, anything to add on that? Um, well, I think Sam gave a very comprehensive answer. I think the the code should never be used in a um, in in a negative way. In that sense, this is not an HR thing. It's about our professional guide. <clears throat> I think there are times when as a chief nurse or as a nurse leader, you have to support others to see beyond their immediate stress and situation. Um, and that might be that at the moment we've got nurses who are working in situations where they have got additional patients in places where they wouldn't normally have patients. They're feeling that's not safe, but nurse leaders are having to make the decision about actually that releases that ambulance to be back out in the community and looking after someone who's calling 999. And I think sometimes we can also use the code to, to lift people's view of actually some of the really tough decisions that our nurse leaders are having to make to mitigate risk across a system and to keep people safe. So, you know, it's it's not an easy job to be a nurse in these times, but the times I saw a a word today about this perma state of what of the challenge in the NHS mm. at the moment and actually that is the situation we're not magically going to be into a different period it's going to be we're going to retain this pressure so it's us using things like the code to support all of our professionals to think about how can they keep themselves safe but also you know work safely in this situation. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's interesting just sort of reflecting that, you know, we've been chatting for a bit of time now and Sam and I haven't mentioned, you know, fitness to practice, um, which I hope demonstrates that first and foremost, the code is the set of standards that the public expect us to practice by. And as Sam said, therefore, it becomes our anchor document. Um, Avoiding weaponising the code is something that we really need to do as professionals. As Sam said, it's primarily there as our anchor point to guide us um, and to, you know, use for our reflection um, to support and supervise um, and role model to to learners, to colleagues that we're working alongside um, what the public expect of us. So just reflecting mm -hmm. for a moment that you know, we haven't dived straight in with, you know, when it goes wrong uh, and weaponising that code. So just really want to re-emphasise that it's there to protect the public and protect us and give us that framework, as Sam said, to anchor into when we're thinking, I need some guidance here. What does the code say? Because it's feeling quite vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That that um, is a good segue, I think, into our next question, in which um, uh, we're sort of looking at, um, you know, what's expected of staff, but also managers with, within, obviously, the the context of the code and and the pressures uh, everyone is is facing. 
Who's taking that? <laughs> why don't Why don't you go first, Sam? Okay. You, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we I think Sam used the term leader. So for for, for nurses and midwives, um, you know, we like to hold on to and be very proud that we retain our primary, you know, our registration as nurses as midwives. So nursing midwifery leaders is the title that we we think we prefer, you know, we would like to use more of. Um, we work in teams collaboratively. Um, it's required as us part of our code to work in teams in lots of settings that often means a triumvirate of, of a medical colleague and an operations manager or a member of AHP staff. Um, code requires us to work as part of a team um, and that's really important. So lots of talk about a code for managers um, has come out of you know, recent um, inquiries, and that's something that we're interested in sitting around the table and talking about our experiences of having a professional code. Lots of discussions we have at the NMC. We sit alongside our other colleagues as regulators, whether that's the HCPC that regulate our AHP colleagues or the GMC who regulate the doctors. It's a bit of jealousy from people that don't have a code because we've got that anchor point and we can refer to to that, you know, the docs talk about good medical practice and they've just relaunched that and they're really proud of that. Um, and I know as we work towards refreshing the code, we'll be really proud to sort of re reshare with people what it what it means to be working under a code of practice. So, um, you know, as nurse leaders, the code is as as strong an anchor point for us all now than it is when we talked to students last week about their code. So, um, you know, it's something that sees you through your career is what I'd say. Mm -hmm. Sam, yeah, it's, I mean, I think there's some really tricky roles out there that sometimes you sort of fall into and suddenly you have to make a, some decisions that, you know, a, that have consequences. And whether that's as a, a ward leader or a leader at a care home or in a hospice, you know, we we need to support people with their decision making and be as collegiate as possible, encourage people to be collegiate in sharing that responsibility around some of the decision making and nurses, midwives are no different to any other profession when sometimes you're having to make decisions. And I, I go back to Sam's early acronym, you know, we have decisions where we are impacted by other things rather than than that your kind of nursing sort of bubble, you know, whether it's finance or infrastructure or pressure or recovery or you know, commissioning. So I think it's it'd be really good for us to think about how we can keep supporting nurse leaders to grow, to feel safe and to make some of these really thorny decisions as they're in the profession, because sometimes it can be quite an unforgiving environment that you're making decisions in. Mm -hmm. I think I might just sort of add as well, you know, um, and we want to talk about some positive stuff as well about being a nurse if we can in a moment. But, um, you know, as, as Sam says, the, these are these are really, really tough jobs. But there's a lot on our NMC website, actually. Like We'd love an app um, and we'll eventually get there. But we run some really great campaigns and we've not long run a campaign on leadership. And I think sometimes it's really important, um, whether that's reflection as part of your revalidation or you are taking a moment to reflect, to, to recognise the impact on leadership, recognise the tone that you're setting. Um, you know, compassion can be a bit overused, but compassionate leadership's really tough to do. Um, for those colleagues listening that have looked into compassionate leadership and the work that we know around civility, 
you know, has an impact on mortality levels, infection rates, you know, financial balances, patient safety. So, you know, leadership is absolutely critical. And um, there's quite a bit of uh, there's some good stuff on our NMC website that I'd uh, encourage colleagues to have a look at as well, that, that and many other things. And how um, can leaders show good leadership? That can be quite a, a, a tricky thing to sort of unpack, isn't it, really? Because it's quite demonstrative. Yeah, shall I come in? Yep, please do. I mean, I think personally, I, I think to be as visible as possible is, is really important in leadership to have... Um, to be kind and role model the behaviours that you expect in others and kindness and civility. I've never heard those words so much in my professional career as now, but they're so incredibly important. Um, to have that cultural intelligence, we know from our data um, within the NMC about people being referred and disparity of referrals, often there's not a cultural level of intelligence, but that you really need that as a leader. We've got a wonderfully diverse profession now um, and we, we need to make sure that we're we're mindful of that and I think as leader you've got to be courageous and you've got to address incivility you've got to address cultures within your organization that don't demonstrate or portray the behaviors that you expect of the professionals working within them because the patient and that member of the public is at the heart of everything we do. It sounds corny, but it's absolutely why we come into the profession, because we want to make a difference. Um, and as leaders, sometimes you've got to make the courageous decisions that not always are the ones that are going to be the easiest route for you. So those would be some of the things that I would say. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Apart, You know, the only thing I'd add, having done some appraisals today is, is you've got to look after your own well-being so that you can look after others as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it take it, it. There's some really complex jobs, as Sam says, out there. Um, and in order to, to to deliver those things, to call out incivility, to call out discrimination, to be the conductor of that orchestra, if you're not well yourself, um, uh, then it's it makes it all that bit harder. So there is something about knowing self and uh, and looking after self so that you can look after others um i think it's really important particularly the more the more pressured that the job is becoming at, at certain times mm -hmm. yeah and i know we're going to go on to talk about well-being which is is really important um so we wanted to sort of also um talk about escalation routes as well so you know what what sort of routes are available to staff who, who you know many of whom do feel that, that they're at the end of their tether you know maybe that they've you know submitted their their day texts about poor staffing you know and being redeployed many times to you know often areas where where they feel out of their depth i mean what 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 route is available for them there's a lot you know there's lots of routes which people listening will, will well know, um, but Sam and I have been experienced enough in our time that we've had cause to to raise concerns ourselves and we've had concerns raised to us. So, you know, I think genuinely the, um, the first route of, of uh, raising a concern is, is to your most immediate supervisor or line manager. That's the most likely route of things being resolved. Um, I think it goes back to that kind of being well yourself. Um, and we've all got to that point where 
you know, as Sam says, it's becoming dramatic and a bit emotive. So that calmness and that consideration of what is the problem I'm escalating, you know, and what problem am I trying to solve is really important because sometimes as a receiving leader, um, you will get concerns raised to you and it's quite difficult to unpick, um, you know, what what's the problem here that we're trying to solve, recognising that somebody's had a very difficult time. So, you know, some some clarity around that, which, you know, with the patient at the centre of it is never going to be the wrong thing. Um, I looked at the, um, the the Welsh Freedom to Speak Up guidance, actually, and it had some incredible um, practical application as leaders for considering when concerns are raised to you. So I genuinely signpost um, that. And I say that because the National Guardian's office have just published sort of the health of freedom to speak up. And uh, there's some concerns there that that actually the environment is is not quite such that people are able to speak up. So, you know, do some reading, recognise that as a leader, it's your responsibility to receive concerns um, because at that very extreme end, when people have been, you know, not listened to, things have continued to not be acted on. Actually, when we get to whistleblowing ter territory, there's there's such harm um, to those individuals and um, and others around. So, you know, consider our our responsibilities under our code, uh, both as somebody who needs to raise concerns, but also to the skills that we need to receive and act on those concerns. Um, and don't do it on your own. Um, because you can't unknow things. So, as we've said, working effectively as part of teams is part of our duty of care to, to the public. So that, that problem shared um, is uh, is certainly a problem halved, but, but I'm sure Sam's got something to add as well. Mm. Yeah, nurses permeate society, we're everywhere. So, you know, it, this isn't just hospital settings, is it? It's schools, it's prisons, it's, you know, it's part of our code to speak up. It, it, it's a professional responsibility. I think one thing I'd add here is that we've also, within all our services, we welcome students and we really want students to speak up to um, so that they feel, whether it's through their faculty or through the same systems that nurses, midwives and nursing associates speak up, that they use their voices um, because they're a great lens on the, the struggles and sometimes as a leader, you have such a continuum of things that people raise and something is incredibly important for one person, but you multiply that to your whole workforce and that's not going to be the case. Or on the right other end of the continuum, you hear something that you can never unhear and you have to act on it. And if you're not acting on it, then actually you're not abiding by your code either. So as Sam said, it's it's. I've spoken up about things before. It's challenging personally. Wrap other people around you. Make sure that you feel safe to do it. Um, but it is our responsibility to speak up. So we have to we have to listen to people who do that. Mm -hmm. Sam, you're nodding there. Um, do you have well, something think, to add? You know, I think the only other thing I'd say is when when you've got a patient who's unwell, whatever setting you're working in, Actually, it doesn't feel very difficult to continue to escalate until you get the right response for your patient, whether that's, you know, through to GPs or, you know, other medical professionals. Um, you know, that, that's something we learn at a really early age. It's the same concept. This is all about public protection, patient safety. So what's the problem we're trying to solve? You know, what's the issue here? If we can frame that 
and that will be heard very clearly um, as soon as that's escalated. And if you don't get the response you require, it may well be that you need to go up again beyond the house officer or the FY1 or the GP trainee. So just the same that you would be comfortable to escalate your clinical concerns. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable raising your leadership or your supervisory concerns um, or absolutely your student concerns. But as Sam said, and it was a recommendation right back in the Francis report that student nurses, student midwives, um, training nursing associates will apply those fresh eyes and point out the things that maybe we've been tolerating and normalising in a very complex environment. So it's so valuable to have those fresh eyes saying this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we just, uh, mentioned a little bit about well-being earlier, but I wanted to finally uh, turn turn to well-being because it's, it's so important. I mean, how can um, staff be supported with we- their well-being and, and also managers? And, and sometimes it, it can be, you know, staff are also supporting the managers. You know, I know, know in COVID times that certainly was the case. I think we've got to talk about something different here. So I'm going to hand over to Sam, because if we did a podcast on all the things that people already know, because well-being is, you know, a a bit like compassion. It's a well-used word now in the sector. So people that are listening are going to know how to be signposted, whether it's by digital things or occupational health or psychological medicine or all sorts of different things. I think, you know, something unique that I'd really like Sam to share with us is, is about finding that the joy in the profession. So I'm going to stand back and let Sam share with us some of the outcomes of her research, if that's OK. And this is not scripted. Yeah. This is... <laughs> no, no, I know we talked about that. Thank you. <laughs> Go on, Sam Donoghue. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So <clears throat> I've just completed my doctoral study, which was exploring professional enjoyment of nursing. So nurses experience of why they enjoy nursing, the factors that enhance and diminish their enjoyment, and also the consequences of enjoyment. And the genesis of the study was that I was travelling around, I was working for Health Education England at the time, I was travelling around meeting with nurses in all sectors and settings in England, um, and whilst the pressures were there as they are now, I was still seeing, wherever I went, nurses that enjoy nursing. And actually, It was that enjoyment that was retaining them in the profession and it was that enjoyment that was rippling through the teams they work with. And a lot of nurse leaders, when we talk together, we also talk about we need to lift hope within the profession. We talk down the profession. We talk about the challenges all the time, about the difficulties, but actually there's joy in the profession. You you experience happiness and joy and enjoyment when you're doing the things that you you wanted to do to become a nurse. So making a difference to each other, to patients and families, the stories that people shared with me in the research about the, the times when they absolutely made a difference. And that was a continuum from being that that comfort, which often we don't talk about, to that absolute complexity of decision making, but being able to apply all of those skills as as a nurse. Um, And what really came through as well was that the way that the patients in public see nurses that enjoy their role and how they feel safer with them and how they then talk about 
their needs and how that ripples through the teams. And the pivotal element with enjoyment is, and this won't surprise anyone, is leadership and culture. So where people have career and growth opportunities, when they work in a team, they feel psychologically safe, that they can challenge, they've got some autonomy, and they're feeling that their voices are heard and listened to, then that enjoyment just swells. And those are the things I think about the profession that we actually really need to share because there are nurses out there working at this moment at 15, 12 on a Friday that are really enjoying what they're doing. Um, yes, there are lots of challenges and lots of nurses that might listen to this or midwives listening to this podcast that will feel, well, actually, I had a really bad day today. But when you look at their whole enjoyment of the profession, that's that's what's keeping them in. So, so I, we're hoping that part of this podcast as well is seeing that actually we've got a role to, to talk about the joy that we get from nursing um, and midwives get from being a midwife and nursing associates as well as as well as the challenges we experience. Mm. And what would you say personally is is the joy you you get from the profession? Um, personally, it's in varying roles. So making a difference. So in this role, I feel that we really have got a a chance to impact the profession across on a you know whole profession basis. When I was a deputy chief nurse, it was about actually supporting the teams to have. The, to be able to give the care that they wanted to deliver. So th there's varying, that's what I meant about we permeate society and different roles I've had, I've been able to apply different elements and get that kind of enjoyment of, of the profession. It's so diverse, the careers that you can have as a nurse are so diverse and I've really enjoyed having career and growth opportunities as well. So I, yeah, those are some of the things about you, mm. Sam. And, and so no, I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly the same. You know, why did we go into nursing? We talked about this, Sam and I, with some student nurses last week. You know, why did people go into nursing? Why do they stay in nursing? And it is, as Sam said, the opportunity in varying roles to make a difference. Um, you know, ultimately, to to patients, members of the public, and their families of of how you know through some of the most traumatic times we can make a difference. And we all were reflecting together last week on some of the you know some of the patients that we'll never forget and why um mm. whatever role that we're in as Sam talks about that culture um and the leadership style to enable people to practice and I think as you become more senior it's about using your sphere of influence to enable a practice environment that enables people to feel autonomous empowered proud you know that careers can be developed and people are curious and um you know that however tough it is that there's absolutely some joy um in in the work that everybody does so um we're very aligned on that and sam's evidence base proves it <laughs> mm -hmm. great well that is an uplifting note to to close on so thank you both very much sam and sam for for spending this time talking about uh, the challenges but also the joys of nursing so thank you thank you very much thank you. Thank you.